0: Thank you for listening to the Sermon Audio Podcast from Greenwood Baptist Church in Weatherford, Texas. Now here's a message from our senior pastor, Brian Bond. All right, how's everybody doing today? Okay, well, it's good to be back. Uh, Appreciate all your prayers and uh, notes of encouragement and um, those that brought food, we appreciate that too. Um, As I I hope you've heard, um, my health issues have turned out to be somewhat maybe life-altering in some small ways, but not life-threatening. So we're excited about that. Thank you. And um, Still recovering a little bit from surgery. And then um, I would have been here last week, but the doctor would not let me drink Mountain Dew until this week. And so (laughs) I'm kidding, mostly. Um, but actually, from all the sitting around, i developed a, an issue with my IT band. I don't know if you've ever had a, it's like a muscle cramp that won't go away for days at a time. So um, I was kind of uh, incapacitated, but um, we're on the mend and getting back and uh, here today. And we're glad to be here. And I uh, hope you guys will continue to be praying for uh, our church as we move forward. And, um, you know, by how God may lead you to be a part of of our uh, being able to build and expand in the future. We're excited about that. Um, And also want to pray for want to encourage you to during this time, be praying for Israel. Um, You know, the the, they're in a very difficult situation. And I would imagine that a lot of what's going on right now is um, some that are hoping that they'll get other countries involved, which would um, is definitely something to keep an eye on. The Israel is, is the focal point of, of a lot of the end-time prophecy. And so it does not mean just because there's a conflict that, that you know, Jesus is coming back here soon. Um, I hope that it, he is, but there's always going to be conflict in and around Israel. And then there will come a time um, where uh, there will be a, a, a mass return to Israel of, of Jews. And that's something to keep an eye on. And then uh, also there'll be an individual during the tribulation that will come out and, and uh, find a way to work peace with Israel and those around for a period of time. And that's something to keep an eye on as well, but, um, or before at the beginning part of the tribulation. But um, so Israel should be a part of our prayer. The Bible tells us in Psalm 22 to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. And so we want to be doing that as believers and um, uh, it, it it is interesting to watch and see what's going on over there, because so much of that has been reflected in the scripture. And so keep an eye on Jer- on uh, Israel and continue to pray for them. Well, today we're talking about Israel and talking about Jerusalem, because Paul has now reached Jerusalem. And so we're in Acts 22 and we're actually going to read to begin with um, the very last verse or two of Acts 21 and then the first couple of verses. Of 22, And what's happened is there's been a riot because Paul came to town with some Gentiles and they have been with him around town and he went with some other of his companions who were Jews and they went to the Jewish temple. And the temple at that time had a wall outside of it that said that anyone who enters here that you can expect to be put to death, that it is not for anyone who is not of the Jewish faith, who's not a Jew. And so... The rumor started, some people started a rumor because they had seen Paul with some Gentiles around town and then saw him at the temple that he had taken Gentiles into the temple, which was not true. And so there started a riot and they um, began to basically try to tear him limb from limb. And the, the Roman soldiers came out to save his life. And before they took him off, he asked if he could speak to the people. And that's where we're going to pick up. So Acts 21, through verse Through chapter 22, verse 2, if you'd please stand in honor of the reading of God's word. The commander agreed, so Paul stood on the stairs and motioned to the people to be quiet. Soon a deep silence enveloped the crowd, and he addressed them in their own language, Aramaic. Brothers and esteemed fathers, Paul said, listen to me as I offer my defense. When they heard him speaking in their own language, the silence was even greater. Thank you. You may be seated. You know, it's interesting to see what has happened up to this point, and really in different places throughout Acts. Um, in Acts 21:30, it says the whole city was rocked by these accusations, and a great riot followed. Paul was grabbed and dragged out of the temple, and immediately the gates were closed behind him. <clears throat> Before they even came to Jerusalem, in Acts 1929, it says, soon the whole city was filled with confusion. Everyone rushed to the amphitheater, dragging along Gaius and Aristarchus, who were Paul's traveling companions from Macedonia. In 1932, inside the people were all shouting, some one thing and some another. Everything was in confusion. In fact, most of them didn't even know why they were there. And then in 2138, the Roman commander asked Paul, he's totally mixed him up with someone else. He says, aren't you the Egyptian who led a rebellion some time ago? and took 4,000 members of the assassins out into the desert. And Paul says, no, of course not. And so what I want you to see is that because there's a movement of God, because Paul is having the opportunity to spread the gospel, the church is growing, the enemy tries to sow confusion and chaos around and to stop what's going on. And you know what, that same thing happens in our lives. There are times where we think this is going on, we think things are going well, and the enemy sows some kind of confusion or chaos. Something happens and we're tempted to just like, okay, I gotta put all that stuff on hold and I gotta deal with this. But the fact of the matter is that what the end result is, what God is ultimately leading to and what God's doing is the only thing for us to focus on to get through the chaos. And so Paul has ha- has seen all these things happen. The Bible even tells us in 1 Corinthians 14, 33, for God is not a God of disorder, but of peace. Disorder and chaos come from the enemy. And Satan will try to, in, to, to cause that to happen in your life to keep you from experiencing what God wants to do in your life. You know, I... I My wife and I have prayed quite a bit over the last few weeks. Um, And there's no, it's not a coincidence that right when we were about to come to the church with great news about being able to expand our church, to be able to reach more people, that in my my life, there became a time of chaos and, and the enemy was trying to instill fear in us. And we recognized that those things were happening For a reason, that God was allowing them to happen, that Satan was sowing those things into our lives. And so what we tried to do was to continue focus on what God wanted us to do and not allow the chaos to seep into our hearts or to to make us fearful about the future. And that's the only solution and the only way to get through and to deal with chaos that the enemy will try to sow into your life. And there's always a temptation. Oh, man, I just need to put everything on hold, and I need to go deal with this. I need to just figure out how to get through this, and then one of these days we'll get back to what God wants us to do. But that's not the answer. The answer is to continue to focus on what God wants to do. Now, understand something. You know, one of the first things I, I thought when I, when we the doctor told us, hey, you got two tumors in your head was, man, this Sunday, I'm supposed to tell the church about this building. Maybe I need to wait. Maybe we need to back off on that for a while until we know what's happening. And I immediately came to the conclusion that, no, we're not doing that. And number one, it's not dependent on me for what's going to happen in the future anyway. But number two, God didn't say, hey, I don't want you to do this now. We've been praying and working towards this for years. And why would we allow something that was outside to stop us from going where God called us to go? And so we went ahead with it. And that was one of the most I don't I don't even know how to describe it. I don't know. You know, on one hand I'm telling you about what's going on in my life health-wise, and on the other hand, hey, but we're growing as a church. Here's what we want to do. I mean, it was really um nothing that I'd been prepared for in my life about how to how to deal with. But now looking back, I'm like, okay, I'm glad that, that we didn't allow the enemy to distract us from what God wanted to do. And y'all came through. I mean, y'all, we wanted y'all to pray about it for a week, and you came back even after that really strange sermon and voted overwhelmingly to move forward, that you saw God moving and that we need to move forward as a church. And I appreciate your faith and your prayers as you work towards that. But that chaos is there to distract you. It's there to keep you from going where God wants you to go. And Paul didn't allow that to happen in his life either. See, one of the greatest things in Paul's life was that he had a heart for the Jewish people. Now, God had sent him to the Gentiles, but he had a heart for Jews. In Romans 9, 1-3, through 3, it says, "...with Christ as my witness, I speak with utter truthfulness. My conscience and the Holy Spirit confirm it. My heart is filled with bitter sorrow and unending grief for my people, my Jewish brothers and sisters." I would be willing to be forever cursed, cut off from Christ, if that would save them. Man, that is a powerful statement. And I know that when I read that, I'm like, man, I don't think I can say that. Now, I, I might be able to say it about somebody that I loved, that I cared about, maybe. But I, I can't imagine being able to say, I'd rather go to hell, knowing that they would go to heaven. And yet that was the heart that Paul had for lost people. Now, I, I don't know, there's part of me that struggles with whether or not, I, I don't think God's called me to, to get to that point. I'm not to that point. I, I mean, I, I want to love lost people. I want them to come to Christ. And I see that statement as, as a challenge to, hey, do you really, maybe you don't love them that much where you're willing to give up your ticket to heaven. I'm not. But do you do you love them? Do you care about people that are lost. You care about those who don't know Christ. And Paul wasn't about to be distracted by the chaos that was around him, even when they were trying to kill him. Man, that mountain dude's good. This was the first one I had today (laughs) since before the surgery. Hold on. Ah, that's good stuff. But And for those of y'all who brought me some while I couldn't drink it, I do appreciate it, and I will drink them, by the way. But anyway, um, here's the deal. Even though all that was going on, they were even having to protect him. The Roman soldiers were having to lift him up on their shoulders to protect him from the Jews who were trying to physically kill him. But Paul didn't let that keep him from loving them and sharing the gospel with them. He had a heart for lost people. And he saw in those moments of chaos an opportunity to share Christ. Man, I heard my wife, she did most of the talking during the last few weeks. Of course, you know, surgery on your mouth will kinda of take a lot of that out anyway. But every doctor's appointment, every nurse she talked to, she shared Jesus with him. She prayed with him. She gave praises about how God was, was moving. And, and it was really amazing to watch how, instead of just being fearful and angry, that she used it as an opportunity to share her testimony about who Jesus is and about who God is. And that's what Paul did. He could have been mad. I I I wouldn't have blamed him, would you? They're trying to kill him. Over even false accusations, he didn't do anything. But what he chose to do, he asked the commander, can I talk to these folks? Now, I wouldn't have given a plug nickel for a chance of those people listening. But you know what? God has a way of quieting people when they need to hear. And so he begins to give a defense. He begins to talk about what's going on. He stands on the stairs and in Acts 22, four through five, he talks about his life before. He says, I persecuted the followers of the way, hounding some to death, arresting both men and women and throwing them in prison. He said, look, I threw men and women in prison. I hounded people to death because they were following this Jesus. The high priest and the whole council of elders can testify that this is so. For I received letters from them to our Jewish brothers in Damascus, authorizing me to bring the followers of the way from there to Jerusalem in chains to be punished. So what Paul does is he he gives us a synopsis of how to give a testimony. Here he's talking about this was my life before Jesus. This is what I looked like. I was hounding people to death. I was throwing men and women in prison. I was bringing them back here to be tried. This is what I was like. And you know what? It, it, it's amazing to me that anybody would th- look at that and think, "Man, what an admirable guy." But they're still listening. A quiet fell across them when Paul began to speak in his native, in their native language, Aramaic. And they listen to him as he talks about, this is what I was like. And then he gets to the next part of his testimony in verse 6. As I was on the road approaching Damascus about noon, a very bright light from heaven suddenly shone down around me. I fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord, I asked. And the voice replied, I am Jesus, the Nazarene, the one you are persecuting. The people with me saw the light, but didn't understand the voice speaking to me. Now, I want to just ask you, at that point, don't you think that people would have freaked out and started yelling? But they didn't. You know, so many times we think that people are going to react when we tell them that we serve a God that we can't see, physically see. Now, I see the hand of God. I hear the voice of God through his scripture and through his Holy Spirit, but I can't see him. And you'd think, oh, that's when people are going to be like, ah, who is this dude, man, talking about a bright light appearing and Jesus, whom we know is already gone, talking to him? That's weird, bro. I'm out on that. We think that people are going to be turned off by the supernatural aspect to our faith. That they're gonna be like, so you talk to some god up in the sky? Yeah, I do. But you know what? There'll be people that'll say things, but for the most part, they understand because it was created in us to realize there is more to life than what we can see, that there is more to the to the, the existence in a man than what is just bound on this earth. We we're built. That's built into us. The Bible says he is. God has placed eternity in the hearts of men. We're born with the knowledge there's something else. And you see it being lived out all the time. People looking for space aliens, people looking for this, people believing that, oh, yeah, well, this, this weirdo, you know, this thing here's the deal. And, man, look at this rock. It's a, it's a special magical rock. I mean, people find all kinds of things. They know there's more. And so what we think is people be like, oh, no, they're not going to believe there's a God. They, can. They're, they're, they will. That doesn't throw people off. You know, many years ago, a trucking company was having problems with theft. And so they started doing polygraphs, lie detector tests. And they started interviewing everybody that, that they hired on at their company. They would do a polygraph test to them and they would ask them all kinds of questions to get a baseline so later on when they did one, they could determine if they were lying or not. And so they would ask some questions, you know, that were easy, that they would say, well, yeah, this, And so they could tell when they were telling the truth or not. And one of the questions they asked was they said, do you believe in God, that there's a God? And there were a few, and you'd think, well, there's, there's atheists out there. There were a few of those folks that said, oh, yeah, I, I don't believe there's a God. And it was interesting because the polygraph... The lie detector said every single time when they would answer and say they didn't believe there was a God, the polygraph would go, Aint liar. It showed they were lying. And the reason is that God built it into people. You know, you think, oh man, how are they going to believe? This? this is crazy. They'll believe it and they'll listen to it because God created them to know there's something beyond themselves. That's why cultures all over the world believe there's some kind of an afterlife. Almost every single culture has understood that a soul cannot be eliminated, that when you die, your soul continues to live. God created us to know that. And so it's not the supernatural element that turns people off. They listen to that, and man, they're still, they're still into the story. They're still silent. They're still listening. They're still open. And then Paul tells them, I was blinded by the intense light. I, I, it blinded me. And had to be led by the hand to Damascus by my companions. A man named Ananias lived there. He was a godly man, deeply devoted to the law and well regarded by all the Jews of Damascus. He came and stood beside me and said, Brother Saul, regain your sight. And that very moment I could see him. Then he told me, the God of our ancestors has chosen you to know his will and to see the righteous one and hear him speak. For you are to be his witness, telling everyone what you've seen and heard. What are you waiting for? Get up and be baptized. Have your sins washed away by calling on the name of the Lord. Now you'd think, man, surely people would draw the line there. Surely they go, go, this guy was claiming to be blind and be healed from blindness. He's claiming there was a miracle. But people believe in miracles. I mean, there's something in us that wants to believe something miraculous is gonna happen. God put that in us too. I mean, I ain't gonna ask you to raise your hands or nothing, but I, I know the Powerball thing's what, like several billion dollars? I ain't gonna ask how many of y'all went out and bought like a ticket. There's millions and millions of people. I mean, you winning that would be a miracle. Now, don't forget your tithe, and particularly our building, if you win it. That's all I'm saying. I ain't saying you should or shouldn't. I'm just saying don't forget. All right, that's all. <laughs> we want to believe. There's people who believe, oh, yeah, if you take this, this pill right here, this supplement, that it's gonna do this for you. And there's this that are gonna do that. And and it, we people believe in miracles. We we long for miracles. It wasn't a miracle that threw them off. You know, we think that. People, oh, they don't—they can't hear that kind of thing. Hey, God's put it in them. I, I'm not saying people won't make fun of you, that they won't reject it or whatever. But I'm telling you, people will listen because deep down they know there's something beyond here. You know, people tried to explain it. Well, you know, these two rocks collided, and that's where life began. That don't make any sense. People that believe that, they got real faith, I'm telling you, if they really believe that. Because if you believe two rocks collided in the middle of space and nothing, and it created everything you see, you, you got a lot more faith than I do about everything. Because you believe that just some random rocks run into each other created life and people. Hey, to me, there's, I can give you what I believe is simple proof that there's a God, and that's your eye. I. Tell me how that just happened. That not only can you see what's going on around you, but you can tell if something's a few feet away or 50 feet away. That you can tell what the color is. You can identify a species. Your eye is is the most amazing thing in the entire universe, in my opinion. I mean, how is it possible that you can see what's going on around? How could that have come out of nothing? God created us to know that we're not an accident; that we're by design. God created us to know that we're not alone in the world. Now, people be like, "Now, oh yeah, you know, everything's about aliens. And all these aliens and all, you know, all this stuff, or whatever." Well, a, aliens—if if we did catch them and it's hidden and they're not very smart aliens, for one thing, that we caught them. And B, how come? How come we ain't seen one? I mean, we got all these different ideas about what they're like because people want to believe there's something else out there because God put it in us to know there is something. They're just looking at the wrong something. And so it's not the supernatural that puts people off. It's not even miracles. And even when Paul said, hey, God spoke to me. That didn't put people off. When he said, look, you're supposed to believe in God and be baptized and your sins are going to be forgiven. That didn't throw them off either. They understood forgiveness. But there was this one thing. And one of the things that's amazed me through the years is people... you know, they want to point to one thing. Well, you know what? I could believe all this. I could believe this. I could believe there's God. I could believe he created man. I could believe he sent his son. I could believe he he died on the cross. I could believe all these things. But there's this one thing that I just can't believe God would do. There's this one thing that I just can't get over. I don't see how God could do that. I don't see how God could say this. I don't see how God could have a law that says that's wrong. That's immoral. That's an offense against him. I don't see how that could be. I could believe all those things until you get to this one thing. See, all of us have something. There's something about God that offends us. Now, there may be more than one, but there's one thing. Now, maybe you're the one. It's in the Old Testament when God told his people how to handle their enemies. And you're like, I just don't I don't see how God could do it. It, it. it offends us. And there's always gonna be something. There's gonna be something in our life that maybe it's somebody we love, and the Bible says, you know what? If you don't repent of that, hey, that's a sin. You're in opposition to God. If you don't come to Christ, and you gotta repent of that to come to Christ, We're offended on their behalf. All of us have something we're offended by. And what we do with that offense is maybe the most important thing we do in life, outside of whether we come to Christ in faith. And here's what happens in this instance. Paul's continuing with his story. He's gone through what his life was like before, what it was like when he had contact, came to know Christ, and what happened afterwards? And here's where he says, the Lord said to me, go, for I will send you far away to the Gentiles. Why was that the sentence? All those other things, they listened quietly. They were into the story. But now Paul said one thing that offends them, that came from God. The crowd listened until Paul said that word. It was just one thing. Word. Then they all began to shout, away with such a fellow. He isn't fit to live. And then they, what we would call in the South, they threw a full-on hissy fit. Y'all know what a hissy fit is? They yelled and threw off their coats and tossed handfuls of dust into the air. Because of one word. And it it amazes me sometimes how people can get so close to salvation. So close to being redeemed by the truth. So close to having their sins forgiven and their lives changed. And having a relationship with God. And they'll allow one thing. come between them and God and see here's where it comes from we all have a we all have our ideas about who God is oh yeah God's this way and and this is kind of how I picture and this is kind of how I think about him but here's the deal and here's why it's so important to be in the word of God because if you're in the word you're going to come to that offensive thing You're going to come to that thing where you go, man, I don't get that. How could could God allow that? Or how could God do that? Or how could God say that? Or why is this? I don't understand it. And it bugs me. It bothers me. And I'm offended by it. But the problem is that we all kind of, We have a tendency to make God into our image, into what we want him to be. That's all of us. I want to believe that God is like this. I want to believe that God would answer this prayer. And you know what? That that was one of the things. When the doctor told me a few weeks ago that I had two tumors in my head, I knew Because I've walked with people throughout the years. And I know, you know what? God's done some miraculous healings. I can give testimonies about that. And then I can also give testimonies about people that we prayed for their healing here on this earth and God didn't answer that prayer. Now he still healed them, but they went home to be with the Lord. And for those that are behind That leaves that, you know, God always does what is good. But sometimes to me, from where my position, it looks like, it looks tragic. It looks awful. And I knew that I was not immune. None of us are. There's going to come a time God's going to call me home. And that's true for each of us. And what we have to understand is, we're not immune to suffering. We're not immune to difficult moments in life. We don't want to think about it that way, but it's the truth. And there are gonna come times when you're gonna be face to face with questions that you don't have answers for. And you're gonna have to decide in that moment You know what, am I going to trust? Am I just going to yield and go, you know what, I don't get this. And this hurts and and it bothers me and I wish it wasn't this way and I wanted it to be a different way, but I'm going to trust God anyway. Or are you going to allow that offense to turn you away from God? And that's what these people did. They were offended by one word. And You know, that, the answer to that question is not gonna be the same for all of us. What is that one thing? And maybe we're gonna have more than one thing, but we're all gonna have those things. And when we're faced with them, we're gonna to have to determine, am I going to believe that God is who he says he is and who He has revealed to us through Jesus and through the scriptures? Or am I gonna decide, nope, God's the God that I think he is in my mind. And if you choose that route, you need to understand something. You're not worshiping the God who lives anymore. You're worshiping the God you've created in your own mind. And you have created an idol. And there's all kinds of temples built to idols. And some of them are even called churches and they get together and they sing some of the same songs we sing, and they'll say some of the same things we th- we say, and they'll talk about God and they'll talk about Jesus, but they're not really following or worshiping God or Jesus, they're worshiping a God they've made up in their own mind and in their own hearts that they're comfortable with, that they're okay with, that resembles the God they want instead of the God who is. And part of following the God who exists, who is real, Is understanding that he's not always going to be the way that I want him to be. He's not always going to answer prayers the way I want him to answer them. He doesn't see things the way I see them. He doesn't take counsel from me. He's God. And it really comes down to this simple thing Are you willing to say, hey, he's God and I'm just not? I'm not God. And so even when it bothers me, even when it bugs me, even when it's not what I want, I'm going to trust that he's God and that he loves me and that he wants the best for me even when I don't see it. Even when I even when I think this can't be the best for me. Am I going to choose to trust him anyway? There's always going to be a temptation because you know what? We want we want God to do things the way we want him to do them. In Matthew, Jesus has told the disciples, hey, I got to go to Jerusalem and I'm going I'm to face death there. I'm going to be crucified. I'm going to die. Peter pulls him aside. And you know what? Peter, Peter's followed him for three years. Peter, you cannot question Peter's commitment He left his family, his his livelihood. He dropped everything at a moment and followed Jesus. It was an amazing act of faith. But over a period of time, there came things that Peter was like, look, I can't accept that. He was offended. And so he, he goes to Jesus and he says, Jesus, that is not happening to you. Jesus turned to Peter and said, get away from me, Satan. You are a dangerous trap. You are seeing things merely from a human point of view, not from God's. Now, you know, it's easy to get on to Peter, but man, Peter loved Jesus. You know, when a group came up of soldiers, he he wasn't supposed to, God had already, Jesus had already told him, but he was willing to put out put out a, a sword, pull out a sword and fight. He wasn't, he wasn't afraid of that. Jesus was, he loved him. And the thing was that Peter just couldn't believe that it could be God's will that Jesus would have to die. But God sent his son to die for all of us. Peter just couldn't, couldn't grasp it. Why would God want somebody like Jesus to die? And so he rebelled against it. And he ended up echoing the words of Satan. I'm sure he didn't mean to. But when we say, oh, you know what, there's no, I just can't believe in a God who would blank. We're speaking the words of the enemy. You're gonna come across a moment. You're gonna come across a thing. What is that thing? Maybe you haven't come across it yet and that's fine. John the Baptist, was the one that prepared the way for Jesus. Told people, that's the one. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He was the first one to say it out loud. Spent his whole life, his whole adult life, pointing and preparing people for Christ. And then you know what happened to him? He, you know, it, you'd think, man, John the Baptist, that was Jesus' guy. He should have been able to go off and and live in a you know in a nice home and retire, be well known. And you know where he ended up in prison? He ends up losing his head. And he's in prison merely for calling out sin, for doing God's work. That's what he's there, that's why he's there. And in a moment of of what had to have been, he had to just ask while he's in this jail cell. Is this, is this what's supposed to be? It says in Matthew eleven two 2 through 6, John the Baptist who was in prison heard about all the things the Messiah was doing. What was Jesus, you know, they can't. oh, Jesus, he's going to parties and doing this. Well, Jesus was going around being among the people where they were. He heard about all the things the Messiah was doing. So he sent his disciples to ask Jesus, are you the Messiah we've been expecting or should we keep looking for someone else? He's like, is this how it's supposed to, John said, I didn't think it was gonna be like this. John spent his whole life staying away from everything, abstaining, living out in the wilderness, eating locusts and honey. I don't care how much honey you put on a locust, that don't sound good to me. Living in the most austere conditions you could imagine and what is Jesus doing? He, he's living life, going around, turning water into wine at a wedding feast. And it didn't seem, it didn't look the way John the Baptist thought it was going to look. And so he just sends that question. Uh, what a question, are, are, you, are you the one? Or should we be looking for someone else? Because it didn't look the way he thought it was going to Jesus told him, go back to John and tell him what you've heard and seen, the blind see, the lame walk, those with leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised to life, and the good news is being preached to the poor. And he added, God blesses though who do not fall away because of me. He's saying, don't be offended by me. Just because I'm not the way you thought I was going to be, or I'm not doing everything the way you thought I should do them, And that's gonna be a challenge for all of us at some point, is you're gonna have to choose to accept that God is God, that His ways are higher than our ways, and that we're not always gonna understand what He's doing. It's not always gonna look the way we want it to look. The results are not always gonna be the way we wanted them to be. We're not gonna have every prayer answered the way we want them to be answered. And we're gonna have to make a choice. Am I gonna follow and love him anyway? Or am I gonna allow that one thing to draw me away from him? What's your one thing? What lines do you have? Well, I just could not believe in a God. You know, I've had people tell me through the years, I can't believe in a God who would do this or do that. You know what? For better or for worse or whatever, I believe in a God who, who takes his own counsel, that whatever he does is righteous, whether I see it that way or not, whether I think it's justified or not, whether I think it's fair or not, he is just and righteous and holy, and he is God. And when I don't understand or I don't agree, I'm wrong. And I may not know why I'm wrong. I may not understand it. But what he does is right because he is God, and I'm just not. And if you you don't choose in those moments to trust anyway, you're going to end up following an idol. And the thing about idols, idols can't answer prayers. Scripture tells it over and over again. They have eyes but cannot see, mouths but cannot speak, hands but cannot touch. Because they're made by man. And they're not God. Don't have a thing. Don't have a limit. If there's something in your mind, well, I I could, God, I'll do whatever you want except whatever. God, I can believe whatever you tell me or whatever you do except this. That I just can't get my mind around. It can't be right. Beware. That the true God does not become an idol in your mind of what you want God to be instead of who he is because who he is is way above us and the thing about it is is when you come and you, you have a need you want a powerful God not a made up God Jesus is God the Father is God they are one The Holy Spirit is God. When you are in that moment where you're in desperate need, you wanna know that you're calling on a God that is powerful. But that power is not always gonna fall into your ways of understanding. So what are you gonna do with that thing? Would you bow your heads and close your eyes, please? If you're here and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, we want you to have one. It's up to you. We're not going to force anybody. We're not trying to make anybody do anything. God made it your choice, and we're not trying to force you. But if you'd like to know that your sins are forgiven, that you are in right relationship with God, and that you'll be with Him for all eternity, we want you to have the opportunity to know Him so that your sins might be forgiven and so that you might be in right relationship with Him. There's three main things you gotta do. Number one, you gotta admit you're a sinner and ask forgiveness of your sins. The Bible says that all have fallen short of the glory of God. All have sinned, but you can be forgiven And to do that, you have to ask for forgiveness and you have to believe in Jesus. Jesus wasn't just a man who walked this earth. He was man, he was fully man and fully God. He lived a life without sin, he died on the cross for my sins and for yours, and he rose from the grave on the third day so that we might have life. So you have to believe in Jesus. And then the third thing is you gotta confess him as Savior and Lord. You know, that Lord part's hard, because when you do that, you're saying, you know what, God, I'm trusting your ways and your word and your commands over what I see and what I want and what I think. It says in Romans 9 and 10, that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. If you'd like to know that your sins are forgiven, that you are in right relationship with Him, I wanna lead you in a brief prayer of salvation. I'll pray it in short, short sentences. You can repeat it after me, or if you'd rather, you can pray it in your own words. Just pray it in your heart, God will hear you. But pray it with me right now. Dear God, thank you for loving me and thank you for Jesus. God, I know I'm a sinner. Forgive me of my sins. Come into my heart, my life, cleanse me. I believe Jesus is your son. I believe he died on the cross for my sins. And I believe he rose on the third day according to scripture. So today, I trust Jesus as my savior and I confess him as my Lord. Now, without anybody else looking around, if you prayed that prayer today and you meant it, I wanna ask you to do one simple thing. I just want you to look up at me right now because I'd like to encourage you and I'd like to pray for you. So if you prayed that prayer today, look up at me right now and keep looking until I see you. Okay? All right? Okay. I see you. Okay. All right. Now, here's what I want to encourage you to do. I want to encourage you to tell someone. There's different ways you can do that. There's a number on the screen. You can text to it. There's a code that's on the screen, also in your bulletin. Just open that up and let us know that you prayed that prayer today to trust and receive Christ. If you'd rather do it in person, John will be here at the end of the service. And we got guys that'll, that'll talk to you if you're a guy. Ladies, we have a lady that would meet with you and answer any questions. If you want to do that today, we can do that today. And so now I just want to pray for you and pray for all of us that God would help us when we find that thing, that we can look beyond it and trust him, even when we can't see and we can't understand. So pray with me now. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for this day. Thank you for your word. We thank you for the testimony of Paul and others that showed us by their actions and by their words who you are. And Father, I pray for those that made a decision today to trust you that you would reveal more and more of yourself to them. We thank you for allowing us to be a part of their journey to salvation and to Christ. And Father, we pray that Lord, you would help us to trust you no matter what. And Father, we pray and we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Sermon Audio Podcast from Greenwood Baptist Church in Weatherford, Texas. You can find links to topics and scriptures discussed in this episode by looking at the show notes. You can find more information online at greenwood.church. If you have any questions or comments, please send an email to info at greenwoodbc.com.